We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ready, set, save California. It's sellathon time this Labor Day at your California Ford dealer. Get ready for the best offers of the summer on the 2019 Ford lineup, like an adventure-ready Explorer or the all-new built Ford Tough Ranger. Or get behind the wheel of the 2019 Ford F-150 with the power, toughness, and capability to carry any payload. You've waited all summer for these deals, and the wait is over. So ready, set, save. The Labor Day sellathon is on now, but don't wait. These deals won't last. Hurry into your California Ford dealer before it all ends September third hello everyone and welcome to the october 15th 2018 edition of the fantasy football report wrote of his radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous nfl news of the last week brought to you by squad ql I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at Am I the Real Blair? And my co-host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HRR5010. Hassan, what's up? What's going on, Blair? Uh, you know, we're getting here right into the heart of the bye weeks, uh, having a good time when you're looking at your rosters and some of your best players are on bye, particularly Drew Brees. So uh, that's how it's going. How about yourself? Yeah, bye weeks are always tough. You know, I'm, uh, I was telling you before the show started, I'm running really hot in uh DFS right now, but all my season-long teams are, like, terrible, so it's, you know, always the same. Mixed results every week, but uh, what can you do? Uh, we got a lot of news to get to today, so uh, I'm excited to be discussing it with our guest today. Joining us on the show is Ben Battle. Ben is a contributor to Rotoviz and Bet the Prop. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben underscore Battle 3. Ben, thanks for joining us. How's it going? What's up, Blair? What's up, Hassan? I'm super pumped to be on this week, and I also just wanted to say that I'm thankful for the opportunity I've gotten to write for Rotoviz this year, and thanks to the SFB8 contest for making it possible in the beginning. So, yeah, another great Sunday of football, and really looking forward to talking to you guys today. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been great reading your stuff at Rotoviz. And uh, uh, how is your SFB8 team doing? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm flirting along the 500 line. I opened up with Gronk, who's slightly underperformed, which is unfortunate because from a projection standpoint using SFB8 scoring, I thought he was a slam dunk top five pick overall with that tight end super premium bonus. So really looking for him and OBJ to and Josh Gordon. I have Josh Gordon too. Really looking for them to start carrying me to maybe make a run. Yeah, and yeah. Ben, do you mind uh, really quickly letting us know? Uh, you, you read a couple of my favorite articles over on Rotoviz, so do you mind letting the rest of the listeners know exactly what it is that you write? Yeah, sure. So I've been writing the Bilo report and the GLSP wide receiver projections, the two weekly columns for Rotoviz. The Bilo report really looks at Bilo candidates, Bilo trade candidates who have just been underperforming generally and who might have the chance to skyrocket to a much higher value. Usually I'm looking at people who have really high volume, but who have been underperforming that volume because, as we know, volume drives fantasy scoring and efficiency is, you know, has a lot of variance behind it. So that's kind of the thought process that goes behind that. And then for the GLSP wide receiver projections, I'm just taking a look at um, the weekly projections for wide receivers spit out by one of the Rotoviz models. So it's cool to see who's projected to do um, well in the upcoming week. Yeah, very cool. You definitely want to check out Ben's stuff at Rotoviz. Always extremely sharp and uh, timely and very valuable information. Uh, all right, let's get right into the news. First item, Marlon Mack rushed 12 times for 89 yards and caught one of two targets for four yards in the Colts' Week 6 loss to the Jets. Meanwhile, Naheem Hines rushed three times for 14 yards and caught two of three targets for only 21 yards. So, Ben, now that Mack is healthy and looks effective, how do you think touches will be distributed in this backfield? And uh, are you comfortable starting any of these Colts running backs going forward? So, unfortunately, I don't think it looks great for any of these Colts running backs. I was really high on Naheem Hines heading into the season with his because of his prolific pass-catching role in college. And they really got him involved in Mac's, ap- Mac's absence in the passing game. He's had target counts of 9, 5, 11, and 9, which is just awesome, combined with satisfactory rushing attempts that's made him that's made Hines really valuable the last couple weeks but the game in the games that Max played the Colts just have decided not to target their running backs as often so when when Mac was out the Colts running backs had about a 20 percent target market share but when Max played they've been way down to like 12 percent so it's not even like Mac is stealing Hines targets they're just deciding not to throw to running backs at all, which is a little surprising since Hines is pretty good and effective when they did target him. So you're looking at some the majority of rushing usage going to Mac and then some minor target volume distributed to the rest, but the lack of receiving game usage really puts a cap on the upside of Mac and Hines. You know, under fifteen carries and three targets is probably what you're looking at for Mac on average and Hines does unfortunately just doesn't look like he's going to be startable unless we see his targets spike up to what they were in Max absence. Um, notably 
Jordan Wilkins didn't play at all this week. He was like behind Robert Turbin, which is pretty weird. Uh, Turbin had a few touches, fumbled, and then got hurt. But it looks like neither of them will be in, be involved, and it'll kind of just be Mack and Hines going forward. But I don't think either of them will be particularly strong. But I do think Matt, um, that Hines has better upside, especially if Mack misses again because of that receiving game work, whereas it looks like they just won't give Mac a ton, ton of targets no matter what. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Uh, the other point that I wanted to bring up is it's kind of wild that like Chester Rogers sort of has burst on the scene a little bit from nowhere. He saw 10 targets today. He's uh, almost kind of the same player, I would say, same build. Not exactly the exact same in speed in terms of Heinz. He's kind of just slow plotting, happens to be around there. Uh, they're really hurting, actually, at receiver. Uh, some guy called Zach Pascal got seven targets today. Uh, something called Mo Ali Cox is on the field. Um, you know, so you got a bunch of these, like, dudes who I swear have their names generated from Madden and uh, just brought onto the field. And I think this team really is and will be missing uh, T.Y. Hilton. And that's sort of, like, with Hilton out, like, that's really led to this gigantic spike uh, towards Ebron. They re-signed Eric Swoop, who saw it, got, got a touchdown today as well. So, like... How do you think uh, T.Y. Hilton's return will uh, impact uh, the rest of this actual receiving core? Yeah, you also have to look at Doyle being out, too, because Doyle had a pretty low A dot in his, with his usage to start the year, and he was getting better or more targets than Ebron, in fact. So both of them being out definitely also contributed to Hines' increase, increased usage. But I really like T.Y. as a a buy low candidate. I mentioned him or he was one of the prime people I wrote about in one of the buy low reports. I think it was two weeks ago. If you guys want to check that out. Um, but you know, since luck's been throwing so much, it's just going to make TY super valuable again. And of course that's probably going to have a negative impact on the market shares of the rest of these ancillary guys. Now, one thing we've seen with Luck is that kind of as the season has gone on, his A dot has slowly increased. Like when it started, you know, early in the season, Hilton had like a nine yard A dot. And then in, I think, week four, he was starting to catch balls way more downfield. Uh, do you think that that might have something to do with maybe Hines losing some targets, that uh, they're making a sort of making a more active decision to move the ball downfield? I'm not really sure because Hines did have the increased target usage in the last two or three weeks while Lux ADOT also increased. So I'm not, I'm not really sure that is going to negatively impact Hines. I think it's more of just a boost for TY's potential value, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, you know, like you said, it doesn't make sense that Mac coming into the game would mean they just target running backs less. So <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. uh, it's very, yeah, definitely a weird uh, sort of phenomenon. So I don't especially, know what to make of it exactly. Especially given the, the Doyle and Hilton, their two best pass catchers have been out. <laughs> like it's, it's surprising that, you know, Matt coming in, but like they're not throwing the ball to somebody else who's super good or something like that. It's just kind of weird. So hopefully for Heinz's value, they, make a decision to get him more involved again. 
Quincy Enunwa left Sunday's Week 6 game with a first-half ankle injury and did not return. He was later seen leaving the locker room in a walking boot. Ben, Jermaine Kearse stepped up with Enunwa's sideline. He caught 9 of 10 targets for 94 yards. Uh, do you think Kearse will continue to play a large role in the Jets' offense if Enunwa has to miss extended time? Or are there any other Jets pass catchers do you think will get a boost? Yeah, Kearse is definitely going to have a role, which is... You know, kind of crazy because who's Jermaine Curse? <laughs> but so Darnold had one of the lowest ADOTs in the league. It's only at 6.2 yards thus far, which is just minuscule. And I talked about in another one of my bio articles after the first week how Darnold just seems to love Anunwa. And the reason for that is that. You know, Darnold's the rookie QB who's starting off with a low A dot, and he just seems like he really wants to latch on to some guy he can have as a safety blanket. And so, Curse and Anunwa have combined for over a 40% target share every week since um, Curse's return. And, like, that just indicates to me that. He, Darnold just loves those low dot guys, and he's going to keep getting cursed the ball. So, I mean, it's not unreasonable for Jermaine to come out with double-digit targets, probably around 10 targets um, most weeks, and that, that makes him an every-week starter. He probably doesn't have the upside since it seems like it'll be pretty low a dot, but it definitely puts him in the starter conversation. Um, Curse also had a 20% target market share last year, which shows that he has been – a an established piece um, in this offense before, and he's had average career efficiency, which really similar to Anunwa, it makes him good enough to maintain this role of a safety blanket um, for Darnold, somebody that he can just lock into and trust and boost his confidence as a rookie. And I think that Anunwa's absence, since he was the market share leader and everything it definitely gives a bump across the, across the board too. But I, I think it'll, I, I think it'll bump Robbie Anderson. I'm pretty high on Robbie Anderson. You know, he had the big breakout week last week, didn't perform quite as well this week, but Robbie Anderson has a history of being a very good player. And I think that once Darnold gets a little more comfortable that he'll, perform better at those high A dot throws to Robbie Anderson and that'll translate to fantasy goodness and success in the NFL for for the Jets. So once he gets, you know, maybe Donald will actually start to take a few more chances now that he only has Curse as a security blanket instead of both Curse and Anunwa. So maybe Anderson's targets will pick up as well. I don't have any interest in Terrell Pryor. He had, he had a nice week this week, but his target volume has been pretty fluky week to week. So I don't see it benefiting him that much. Yeah, that's a great point about the, you know, the similar dot with Curse and Anunwa. Uh, you know, Pryor had six targets and we – in the past, I've thought of him as like a downfield threat, but he was catching passes today, like six yards down the away from the line of scrimmage. So using him in a very different way than we've seen in the past. So it's kind of, um, you know, just uh, more more proof that Darnold is looking for these short targets. Um, but I like what you said about him hopefully targeting Anderson more and trying to push the ball downfield more. Um, I really hope that starts to happen. The other guy who 
kind of had a mini breakout today was Chris Herndon, who uh, someone who really looked good in the model that John Lipinski put out in the offseason uh, tight end. Uh, do you have any thoughts on him going forward? Not, not really, to be honest. I, uh, <laughs> I think it, <laughs> I, th- I think it'll be centered around the other guys I, I just mentioned, to be honest. But you know, you never know. If you see, if we see the signal again next week, then maybe you can invest in him. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but I'm definitely not sold after one week. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about two targets, but you know, 56 yards and a touchdown is uh, in 2018 for a tight end to do that. You know, you take what you can get. I guess you probably want to go take a quick look at your waiver wires. I mean, I know you guys, if any of you guys play in deep dynasty leagues, it seems to be worth a stash, right? Yeah, that's definitely fair in terms, from a dynasty perspective, you know, anytime some random tight end pops up with high efficiency, you never know, and he's worth a waiver bid. But in terms of redrafts, definitely not on the radar yet. Before we get into No Shit Shit No, here's a quick reminder that you can support the Rotoviz Radio Network and our 10 shows per week on Patreon. By doing so, you'll gain exclusive access to Rotoviz Live, our weekly Sunday morning video show answering all your fantasy questions. Patronships start at just $6 a month and provide exclusive access to Rotoviz Live. That's four shows per month on top of 40 podcasts for just $6. Become a Rotoviz Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high-quality, industry-leading programming. Speaking of exclusives, as a loyal podcast listener, you can get 30% off a Rotoviz NFL Pass right now. It's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content tools. You get amazing value. You help support the podcast. Once again, that's NFL. Uh, that's rotoviz.com slash podcast. Now let's get into no shit shit. No, first item... Adam Thielen caught 11 of 15 targets for 123 yards and a touchdown in the Vikings' Week 6 win over the Cardinals. No shit. Thielen had the most targets in the league heading into this week. He's had more targets than Diggs this year, obviously, and more targets than Diggs on a per-game basis every time Diggs was healthy last year. So he's hit a bit of positive TD regression this year and he also has two more red zone targets than Diggs this year you know one of the knocks on Thielen last year was like oh he has slightly higher volume than Diggs but Diggs is better at scoring touchdowns so we should so Diggs should be drafted ahead of Thielen Diggs will break out etc that type of thing but there's it's undeniable that Thielen is the alpha male in this offense he's the overall wide receiver one um, a steal in the third round of this year. I'm happy to own quite a bit of him. And he's there's no reason to think that he won't continue to produce at a top five clip in the league, really. Like, Kirk just loves him. One interesting note is that Diggs slightly out-targeted Thielen the last two weeks. So I was thinking that maybe it might even out a little bit, that Diggs might start to take off some of those targets away from Thielen but that really didn't happen this week I think Thielen saw 15 yeah you said 15 targets compared to Diggs is only five this week Diggs saw Patrick Peterson so maybe that had some type of influence on it but you know it just kind of there's a signal that Diggs might even it out again but you know Thielen squashed that so Greg Olson caught four of seven targets for 48 yards in the Panthers week six loss to the Redskins 
Shit, no. Greg Olson had a significant drop in efficiency last year in the limited usage he had before being injured. He did like a commentating stint during the year last year. Just kind of kind of weird. And you know, he's 33 years old. I think he's pretty toast to be honest. I see him on the way out. It's pretty annoying for the other pass catchers in the offense that Cam has that connection with him and still gave him seven targets right away, but I'm not buying any form of fantasy value for Olsen. I mean, he'll be a startable tight end, potentially like, you know, a top 15, top 12 tight end, but he won't sniff that top five near elite usage and performance that he kind of had beforehand. You know, the injury thing's also really weird that he was supposed to be ruled out for the season and then he's coming back and this is also the same foot injury he had previously. So it seems like he's at a high risk given his age and the, the specifics of this injury for him to re-injure himself. So I'm not putting any stock in Olsen. Christian Kirk caught six of seven passes for 77 yards in week six against the Vikings. No shit. Since week two, Tristan Kirk's had a 20% target market share to Larry Fitzgerald's 18% target market share. Rosen and Kirk definitely had a big preseason connection. And, you know, it makes sense that they that connection is only going to grow since they're developing together as rookies. One thing that's cool is that Kirk has been used deep a little bit. He Coming in, he profiled as a super low ADOT slot receiver, pretty much mimicking Fitzgerald's current role, but on the first play of the game against the 49ers last week, they took a like a 40-yard deep shot to him, and he scored like a 70-yard touchdown. So it shows that they they're really trying to game plan him in in different ways. Um, he was one of the top wide receiver prospects coming into this year with a 20.1 breakout age, which is you know the skeleton key to success. We've written a lot about that on Rotoviz. And it's definitely really exciting to see what will happen once Fitzgerald leaves. Fitz has been a little banged up throughout this year, too, but he's he's still out there, like Larry the zombie out there. Um, but it'll just be, you know, so, so like Fitz could depart before the end of this year if the injuries pick up and he just, you know, if he's had too much. So Kirk's definitely a buy in every format. Julio Jones hauled in 10 of 14 targets for 143 yards in the Falcons' Week 6 win over the Bucks. No shit. That's a standard Julio Jones stat line of massive targets and yardage and no touchdowns, despite Atlanta scoring 34 points. I expect more of the same pretty much every single week. Like, Julio's an elite wide receiver one. It doesn't really matter that he doesn't score touchdowns. You have to look at the actual box score, and his targets and opportunity are just so ginormous that sure he has a lower touchdown rate, but his output is still totally elite. Uh, Follow up question. Is Julio elite only between the twenties or. (laughs) I mean, I I have to say Julio's got to be elite everywhere. I don't know what, what the disconnect is. You know, it's been covered so, so much in different capacities for why Julio can't score touchdowns. And I'm not going to pretend to know how to answer, answer that question. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, the Falcons offense has just exploded this year. Again, Matt Ryan's just doing really, really, really performing really, really well again. So Falcons will continue to have really high team totals. And Julio does have Julio's split is that in higher team totals, he does 
have a higher touchdown rate. So if the Falcons continue to perform very well as an offense, the numbers indicate that Julio Jones will score more touchdowns than he would if the Falcons <laughs> were not scoring as many points. So <laughs> that's got to be worth something. <laughs> yeah, no, this uh, Julio Jones joker, he's on my a lot of my teams in the uh... No touchdowns. No, I'm just kidding. No, I agree with you. I, Julio is absolutely elite. I mean, he's the offense that makes. He's such a. He's such an elite talent, man. He's, it's, just, it's like a pleasure watching him play, and like it's a pleasure actually having him on fantasy squads. Yeah, I was actually. Late. Go ahead, Blair. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask. Uh, you know, I was looking back at sort of Julio's red zone usage a couple weeks ago, and he's not getting like even the looks in the end zone it's not like he's just bad at i don't know catching them although that well i don't want to say that's the case but he's not actually getting the opportunities but with the atlanta scoring you know 34 points is there any reason for them to change what they're doing like uh maybe julio's just such a good decoy in the red zone that uh he enables them to you know keep up putting keep putting these point totals up so um you know we talk about sort of touchdown regression but if the Falcons are, you know, consistently winning by not getting Julio the ball near the goal line, uh, is that something that we think is going to change? That's certainly a fair point. I think in week one, he had like a million red zone targets too. They were just forcing it to him and I don't think it worked out very well. So that, that that's a fair point that since the offense is performing so well, they, why, why would they, throw it to Julio in the red zone. But I mean, Julio is a threat to score a touchdown, even if he's not getting red zone targets, you know, he's such a high dot wide receiver. The fact that he hasn't run one in from 40 yards out is surprising at this point too. So he doesn't have to be targeted in the red zone to have a breakout high touchdown game too. That's a good point. DJ Moore caught four or five targets for 59 yards in the Panthers' Week 6 loss to the Redskins, adding 18 rushing yards while losing a pair of fumbles. No shit that DJ Moore had an 80% catch rate and phenomenal efficiency and is being used in unique ways on the field. He was an absolutely prolific prospect with the eighth highest dominator rating and the highest ever phenom index. The kid is a freak. He was drafted in the first round. I'm not really sure what happened on the fumbles i you know to be honest hopefully that doesn't impact his usage or anything but they've made a point to try and get him a little more involved in really unique ways on the field and he can certainly thrive you know the the metrics suggest that he can be able to thrive in whatever role they put him in so it's, it's been the, the Carolina kind of has this peculiar type of offense where they're using more in unique ways. Cam's a dual threat. They use CMC as a major pass catcher, and they have Funchess as like a glorified tight end. It's just but they have a very interesting and dynamic offense, and hopefully Moore can continue to fit into it in a unique way that makes him fantasy viable. I really thought that he was going to overtake. Funchess, um, especially with Greg Olson expected to be out, but that that hasn't really happened yet. But like I said, the signal is that his usage keeps increasing, so I think he's a buy. Duke Johnson rushed twice for 36 yards and caught four of his five targets for 73 yards in Sunday's Week Six loss to the Chargers. Shit, no. Duke Johnson has had miserable target 
volume, much to the disappointment of most of the fantasy community. He's been playing around 35% of the snaps, and Carlos Hyde was actually a bylo for me in the bylo report last week because he's just been, he's had incredible usage. He's getting like 15 plus carries a game, multiple targets a game. Um, Hyde had, um, Hyde had 17 carries this week, I think. And so he's like, Hyde has been dominating the volume despite other running backs performing better than him. And that, you know, is hurting Duke Johnson's value. So yeah, he had a couple more targets and produced a little this week, but I don't think, there's no reason to believe that'll be a consistent thing. Yeah, I don't know how many snaps he actually got today, uh, but I was hopeful that as they switched over to Baker Mayfield that Johnson's volume would increase, and maybe this is a sign of that starting to happen, but it might just be kind of fluky if if he's really not even getting on the field as much as uh, he used to. Yeah, it'd be great if Baker got going and could help Hyde, Landry, and Joku, all these guys produce based off the volume they're they're getting. You know, it's gonna come. Baker didn't get the reps with the first team offense thanks to Hugh in the offseason, so it's unsurprising that there's been some growing pains with that, to be honest. But given Mayfield's elite profile, there's no reason to expect that it all this volume won't start translating to fantasy goodness. No, I mean, uh, I think they kind of might not because uh, when you're looking over at the road of his screener in terms of uh, running backs, Hyde has touched the ball a lot, and he's underperformed his volume quite spectacularly, actually, according to uh, the the rushing fantasy points over expectation. He is one of the worst running backs in the league alongside um, uh, Peyton Barber, Alfred Morris, Derek Henry, Jordan Howard, and Lamar Miller, just as guys who see a significant amount of touches and they just vastly underperform it. Uh, I wonder at what point do you think they actually uh, give Nick Chubb some run, you know, considering they spent an incredibly high second round pick on him. At what point do you think they actually uh, let him in? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, like you said, Chubb's been... Chubb's had some awesome runs when they've given him the shot, but that signal hasn't translated into anything. Like it was two or three weeks ago when Chubb had like two carries for a hundred yards and a touchdown or something like that. And next week Hyde's just back out there. I believe Hyde had much better efficiency in the San Francisco offense one year. So, I mean, I think the guy has it and we're, we're, you've, you buy the volume at the running back position no, no matter what. So I think that if the offense starts producing, it'll help Hyde as, Hyde as a whole. That's that's my opinion. But, yeah, that's definitely a fair point that Hyde's been pretty bad to start the year. Speaking of Cleveland Browns, who have been pretty bad to start the year, Jarvis Landry caught two of nine targets for 11 yards in Sunday's Week 6 loss. Shit, no. Landry's had very strong career efficiency, and he's absolutely dominating the workload for Cleveland. We, we kind of just talked about this with Hyde, except Landry's actually a proven, very good player. And like, like we just talked about, I think his efficiency will normalize once he connects with Baker. And he's had like a top 10, top 12 wide receiver workload and it's just been really weird that he's had some of the lowest catch rates of his career the last two, maybe three weeks. So I just, there's no reason to believe that won't turn around once, once they start 
clicking. I also really like David Njoku. He had a strong week this week. His target volumes increased since Baker's come in. So really most of the Browns are buys, in my, in my opinion. Hyde, Landry, and Njoku. I think it, Antonio Callaway, probably less of a buy, given that Hugh announced that they're dialing back his snaps and that kind of thing. But Rashad Higgins' injury this week gave Callaway a little more run, but I don't see that being sustainable yet this season. So, yeah, I'm on Landry and Joku and Hyde at the moment. James Conner rushed 19 times for 111 yards and two touchdowns in the Steelers' 28-21 Week 6 win over the Bengals. No shit. The Steelers running backs dominate in fantasy no matter who's the one, who it is carrying the ball. You know, Le'Veon Bell just doesn't have that much value to the Steelers, which kind of stinks for him and his career. But Steelers have such a strong offensive line, strong scheme, strong offense, and they give the workhorse usage to whichever running back they decide is going to dominate the touches. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens if Bell does come back because, you know, they – they do have reason to include Connor in some type of split with Bell. I can see that being beneficial um, for for their offense. So th- th- that'll be really interesting to see, especially given some of Big Ben's kind of sarcastic commentary about the Bell situation. So, yeah, do you guys have a take on Bell's future? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, neither do I. I just, I mean, like, he says he's coming back, but the Steelers organization is like, oh, we don't know what's happening. Uh, I mean, James Honor's kind, uh, James Connor's kind of near and dear to my heart because I wrote about him for the 2017 Road of His Writing Contest uh, where uh, I called him a future workhorse running back. Uh, the box score running, uh, the box score scout app actually comped him to uh, Le'Veon Bell uh, which is quite, uh, you know, fortuitous considering that Connor sort of stepped in and he's uh, unfortunately made some of their other running backs, uh, particularly Jalen Samuels, uh, you know, redundant, more, more so just kind of useless. But I mean, at the same time, it's actually really, really awesome watching Connor doing this, if only because he's a fun player to watch and he's a re- really good guy to root for. Like, it's a fun story when you know all of his stuff and he's like uh, uh, from around the Pittsburgh area. So it's it's kind of cool seeing like a hometown hero because he went to Pitt as well, I believe, for college. So he's, you know, it's a pretty good story. I have no idea what they're going to do with Bell when he comes back. And I really hope to, that we get to see Bell, the superstar, one more time, on, even if it's not in a Steelers uniform for some other squad. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see Bell on another team just to investigate what a running back who profiles with Bell's profile, like how he performs in another offense. I just think that would be pretty compelling from, you know, like a, a research kind of standpoint. Uh, Mark Wemkinen hit this uh, AFC ultimate zero running back watch list this week compared sort of Connor's the first five games of Connor's season with the first five of Bell's season last year, I think. And their opportunities were really similar, but Connor had he was like way more efficient than Bell was to start the year. Uh, so the question maybe is, you know, if Bell comes back, or I guess do the Steelers even want Bell now? If Bell comes back, don't we want to keep seeing what Connor can do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a fair question. But I think that, 
even if like yes you're right the connor's been more efficient but i think they have value in just racking up bell's touches to end of the year and then not signing him right like they they can get those free touches from bell and then reduce connor's injury risk that type of thing because like what you said you know connor's connor can be their guy like it's pretty obvious that they have no no doubt that connor can be their workhorse for you know the the time to come so that i think that preserving him by using bell could be part of their strategy i don't know there's just so much to digest with the whole levy on bell situation Tyrell Williams caught three of four targets for 118 yards and two touchdowns in Sunday's Week 6 win over the Browns. Shit, no. Tyrell is low snap counts, low usage. He's really been splitting with Mike Williams, which I'm not. some people might not realize people were really high on Mike Williams after he had some touchdowns earlier in the year, but they've pretty much been occupying similar roles in the offense. It's unsurprising that Tyrell had this blow-up game. He seems to do that periodically and you know he's a decent player and the fact that he can do that shows how he benefits his team but you definitely can't bank on him as a consistent starter in my in my opinion uh and while we're on the topic of the Chargers passing game somebody who I'm super disappointed in thus far this year is Keenan Allen oh I I was super heavy on Keenan Allen in drafts and He's just been giving up those targets to Melvin Gordon, which speaks to the ridiculous usage Melvin Gordon's been getting. Um, one thing I'm optimistic about with Keenan Allen is that he's his target share spiked to 30% in each of the last two weeks, which is higher than it was to start the year. It didn't translate into raw target numbers, though, because the Chargers didn't throw a lot since they blew out the Raiders and then the Browns this week. But I am optimistic on Keenan Allen's usage, and it will have a large effect on my uh, fantasy football performance for the rest of the year. (laughs) Yeah, so I was uh, actually reading this before we started recording. Uh, Philip Rivers actually told Pro Football Talk that 89 yards and a touchdown came on back-to-back throws. Tyrell Williams uh, they came against the same play on the same play and they were called against similar coverages uh, just because you know Greg Williams is such a genius Uh, uh, so like they call the exact same play and that's actually kind of fascinating I I do agree with you that like uh, Rivers has just been feeding both uh, not not only Melvin Gordon but also Austin Eckler I mean Melvin Gordon uh, we've called him the uh, wide receiver too in this offense he really does it all Austin Eckler has seen a lot of work. Uh, you know, Ty- Tyrell Williams and Mike Williams really haven't emerged. And at some point, I mean, all of this is just, all it's doing is stable setting for a massive blow-up second half for Keenan Allen, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but that's going to happen against a squad that, uh, you know, just can't, do anything. I mean, like the, the the final box score shows thirty eight fourteen, but that really undersells where the last score came. You know, like like they were just destroyed. This this thing was uh, you know an annihilation top to bottom. Jared Cook got two of two targets for ten yards in the Raiders' week six loss to Seattle. No shit. The Raiders have been abysmal the last two weeks. Derek Carr has just been. Pathetic. Somebody posted on Twitter like the completion tree for Derek Carr this week, and there were like five 
attempts past like six yards out. It's just his, he's been so bad. And, you know, the thing with Jared Cook is that he had like a really elite workload the, the first few weeks, but nobody's been fantasy viable in the Raiders the last two weeks. Just no one. So, you know, if Carr starts to play a little better, then Cook will definitely have value. And I do think that he can squeak into that kind of upper tier, you know, kind of in between Ertz, Kelsey, Gronk, and then the rest and then the rest of the random tight ends, you know, a little, a little bit in between where he still has elite usage, but isn't quite as efficient as those other guys. So I think if Carr shows signs of life that Cook could be a potential strong buy low if people are super low, super down on the Raiders after these two really bad weeks. One thing that's kind of one reason I am a little pessimistic, though, is that it seemed like the Raiders had a great matchup this week. Like the Seahawks haven't put that much have have a pretty low pressure rating. And we know that QBs perform better in clean pockets and the Raiders have great protection and the Seahawks don't put on a lot of pressure. So it was just kind of surprising that Carr performed so poorly. You know, you could go down narrative street and say that it has something to do with the late arrival to London <laughs> um, from John Gruden, but I, I don't really know. But I, I do think that Cook has upside um, as the year progresses. Bigger question is, does what does uh, Cooper's concussion do to the play him on even weeks flowchart? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I, I they have a buy, I believe, and uh, I'm there were rumors that emerged that they're going to trade away Amari Cooper. So I'm really hoping they uh, trade him away. Uh, just get him off this uh, hunk of junk squad. I mean, I thought that the Raiders were actually a little bit better. They've taken a massive step back in the last two weeks. Uh, you know, they it's been reported that Amari Cooper has a concussion. Some other spots are calling it that a ribbon injury. I mean, at this point, uh, you know, uh, Carr also suffered a bit of an injury. He apparently left the game with a left arm issue. And he wanted to come back in, but it sounded like AJ McCarron would have come back in had Seattle actually coughed up the ball. I mean, Oakland itself as a franchise is, I think very close to blowing it up and i mean when i say blowing it up i mean everyone's gone type of deal uh you know they've given john gruden a pretty much free reign uh a massive guaranteed 10-year contract uh they're going to be leaving oakland for uh, las vegas in some point uh in the near future so why bother i mean this team is one in five they've uh been treading water for the last you know few years they really screwed up by paying Derek Carr all that money and uh he is just god awful he's he's just he's simply terrible and I feel bad that like Raiders fans uh actually have to sit through this and then they have to sit through their team leaving for Las Vegas uh because I I don't think anyone on this team is going to survive that uh, trip over to Las Vegas and I can see John Gruden eventually utilizing some of the assets that they picked up in the Khalil Mack trade to you know, rebuild, like get a quarterback and just he's going to start this entire ground up process of uh, recreating uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, he will hopefully go 500 at some point in the near future. Uh, but he will not be very good, I don't think. Uh, this uh, franchise under Gruden, uh, I am very, very bearish on. So let's talk about that. Where would you like to see Amari Cooper end up if they do trade him? 
there's a couple of teams. Uh, I don't know who has the cap space really to take him on. Uh, I was thinking something like a Philadelphia. I doubt. I mean, they were in the process of restructuring contracts. There was talk about them getting a running back. Just, just go get Amari Cooper. Nelson Aguilar has been absolute, you know, just garbage. Um, the uh, Patriots might actually be an interesting, you know, idea, but strongly, strongly doubt that that happens. Uh, and then I got to think, think about some other spots. Maybe Indianapolis, provided they have the cap space. Um, and nothing else is jumping out to me at this point in time, though. Yeah, the scary thing for Cooper's value is we know that, you know, it's kind of conflicting here. We have the whole five-year breakout deal, and then we also have the negative signal of a wide receiver's changing teams and how how that hurts their value. So uh, my projection is that Cooper will be overvalued <laughs> wherever he gets traded to that, from, <laughs> from a fantasy standpoint. That's my projection. Yeah, I mean, actually, Indianapolis was like one of the first teams that came to mind, and I also have no idea whether, whether you know, what their cap situation is or whether that could work. But I mean, it's hard to imagine that another that there are many other situations that Cooper could move to that would be like significant downgrades. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He might be overvalued, but if he went to a place like Indianapolis, I'd probably probably still be buying him. Jameis Winston completed 30 of 41 passes for 395 yards, four touchdowns, and two interceptions in the Bucks' Week 6 loss to the Falcons. No shit. I'm not a fan of Jameis as a person. Nobody really is, and I'd kind of prefer if he stunk. But when you look at the numbers, he was very strong towards the end of the last season. He was like leading the league and passing yardage over one of the end stretches. Tampa Bay has elite passing catching options with high A dots who just really contribute to Winston's success with Mike, Evelyn, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Deshaun Jackson, and viable tight ends as well. Tampa Bay can't run the ball, so that also contributes to their high passing volume. And Winston's going to be a great fantasy, high volume fantasy cord, quarterback fueled by his strong receivers every single week. It's kind of scary for Mike Evans's outlook, though. Fitzpatrick seemed to dial into him a little bit. He was the um, leading the Bucks in opportunity while Fitzpatrick was in there. But we saw in in this game and last year how Jameis is going to spread the ball a bit more. And Mike Evans was, I think, third in targets th- this week by a solid margin. So it just kind of knocks him down from that elite level that he sometimes is valued as. Ito Smith rushed 11 times for 22 yards and a touchdown in the Falcons' week six win over the Bucks. Shit, no. Yes, Ito's rushing share did spike this week. He actually fully split with Tevin Coleman. But, you know, unfortunately, the fantasy value for these Atlanta running backs is looking, unfortunately, barren. They they just don't really want to target. Their Sark doesn't really want to target the running backs as much this year as they have um, historically. And in terms of Ito's specific role, there's no way he's going to take over for Tevin Coleman. Like, it just doesn't make sense for him to surpass Coleman, in my opinion. And Freeman will be back, and that will probably be like a three-headed monster, uh, unfortunately. I'm pretty pessimistic about Coleman's value without the 
receiving game usage and um you know same with ito smith he's been getting intermittent red zone usage like he he actually has one more carry than coleman in the red zone but i don't feel like it's really a signal it seems like they're kind of just that's just how their rotation's been going um yeah so i expect a three-way split and unfortunately low fantasy value for all three of these atlanta running backs going forward despite their team scoring a ton of points Frank Gore registered 101 yards on 15 carries while turning his lone target into an 18-yard catch Sunday in the Dolphins' Week 6 victory over the Bears. Yeah, man, oh man, Frank Gore. And I don't know if you guys saw that game, but it was it was pulled on my heartstrings for Kenyon Drake. <laughs> so <laughs> shit, no, in terms of Frank Gore's efficiency, like so so Frank or Kenyon Drake fumbled on the one when he was about to score the game-winning touchdown in overtime. And that was just like he, the guy was crushed on the sidelines and it just really stinks from a fantasy standpoint too, because you have Gase running out Gore, which is just killing Drake's fantasy value to start this, start this year. Gore has been out touching him pretty much almost every game. And you really want to see Drake get more involved in this, this just the way the scene was set with Gore having a great game and Drake um, lo- losing that fumble in such a dramatic moment just kind of <laughs> leads to there being no reason to believe that Drake will see an increase <laughs> in usage. Like it just looks re- really tough for him. He had 11 targets last week, which was awesome, and he did have a great week, but we didn't see that again this week. And you know, Frank Gore will just keep running the ball pretty well up the middle, and he'll be a fringe starter. But it's just kind of unfortunate for the entire fantasy situation in Miami there. Albert Wilson delivered six catches for 155 yards and two touchdowns on nine targets Sunday in Miami's Week 6 victory over the Bears. Shit, no. Miami keeps scoring on these weird, huge, yak catch-and-run plays. I don't know how this keeps happening. Albert Wilson's had a couple touchdowns this year like that. And it's pretty cool to see. The plays are big highlight reels. But, and you know, he's he's a great best ball find, but there's no way he's a consistent starter. He's averaging a couple targets a week, but it, Stills has been dominating in weighted opportunity rating, and who really knows what's going to happen if Osweiler has to stay in there for a couple weeks. Austin Hooper hauled in 9 of 10 targets for 71 yards and a touchdown in the Falcons' Week 6 win. Shit, no. Hooper's had target spikes the last two weeks, but he has a career history of inconsistent involvements. You know, everyone in this Atlanta offense is going to get some now that they're firing on all cylinders. So Hooper could be good for another one or two of these weeks throughout the year, but I don't see his involvement being consistent given that they have viable options in Julio, Sanu, Ridley, and then if they throw the ball to the running backs a couple times. Michael Crabtree caught six of nine targets for 93 yards and a touchdown in the Ravens' week six victory over the Titans. No shit that this would happen for a week. He's been having really, really strong... Crabtree's been having really, really strong target volume, but pathetic efficiency, really. There's kind of reason to believe that he's pretty washed using the game speed app that on airyards.com you can see that he slowed down a lot last or thus far this year so i don't think crabtree is going to keep doing this 
John Brown's really the one to own there. He's had like the highest A dot in the league for anybody with real a uh, real number of targets, and that's caused him to dominate in terms of the opportunity rating uh, on the Ravens. He had a down week this week. He was definitely a he was a buy low candidate. He only had four targets, which was kind of weird. But I mean, the Ravens dominated the Titans. So I and the Ravens also have like the highest number of pass attempts in the league next to the Colts, I believe. So uh, John Brown's the one to own. Crabtree's more of a fringe starter at this point. Probably a good person to sell if somebody likes him and thinks that he's going to keep producing like that. Dak Prescott completed 17 of 27 passes for 183 yards and two touchdowns while adding 82 yards and another touchdown on 11 rushes Sunday in the Cowboys' Week 6 victory over Jacksonville. Should know. The Cowboys' offense is not for real. They had a great week this week, that's that's for sure. And one thing that is optimistic for Dak's fantasy outlook is that he had 11 rushing attempts this week, and that's way more than he's had um, in any other game this year. And it seemed like the Cowboys did game plan effectively to take down this Jacksonville defense kind of borrowing some of the elements that Kansas City used. So Dak will be a viable starter if he has 11, 10 plus attempts, rushing attempts, that is, per week. Like he had 80 yards. It just increases his floor by a lot. But the pass catchers in Dallas are so just bottom of the league, below replacement level. And their volume is the, the play volume on Dallas is really low. They're one of the slowest-paced teams, and it's just uh, – I'm not buying the Dallas offense, but pretty cool that they were able to go out and light up the Jags this week. Marcus Mariota completed 10 of 15 passes for 117 yards in the Titans' dreadful Week 6 loss to the Ravens. No shit. The Titans have been up and down in terms of their offensive production this year. They have one of the heaviest run rates – in the league behind the defensive-minded Mike Vrabel. LaFleur really hasn't been able to transition the prolific offense he was working with in, in at the Rams. Um, he hasn't been able to transition that over to the Titans. Ravens seem like they're super strong defense. Definitely um, looks like they'll be on the elite level this year, so it's not surprising that Mariota had a down week. Yeah, uh, I was actually doing a little bit of research uh, about this. I went over to the Bilo machine and I uh, kind of messed around a little bit with the target week settings. And uh looks like um, going forward, week seven, uh, Tennessee has uh, the Los Angeles Chargers and their bye. Then they've got just a phenomenal stretch uh, from weeks nine uh, through 13. Uh, where they face Dallas, New England, Indianapolis, Houston, and the Jets. Hopefully, uh, they're actually forced to play with base, and they're kind of, uh, you know, forced to play face up, and where, where like, Mariota is allowed to freelance a little bit more. Maybe they'll be able to work through this offensive kinks a little bit. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, they look, they look a little bit more like that team that just was fantastic, like, two weeks ago. You know, it's, like, kind of a day-night issue here with the one that won the overtime game against the Eagles. So... Was it the yeah the Eagles? Uh, yes, yes, the Eagles. Yeah, so you know it's it's I think it's we might be coming out of the uh, a bit of a dark stretch here for Tennessee and uh, hopefully uh, we see them really come on strong down the stretch. Uh, the Bilo machines got them as the fifth favorable schedule for quarterbacks going uh, down the stretch. 
So just as Dak Prescott proves that defenses don't matter, Marcus Mariota proves they do. <laughs> Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup for you each week based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. You may ask, how does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulls on your actual roster and your league scoring system. SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, plus the app gives you player rankings each week and it's all based on your league settings. SquadQL truly is your go-to app this fantasy football season. Head to SquadQL.com to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy football manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy lineup optimizer trusted by 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android. All right, moving on to news item number three. Two different QBs were replaced in week six with Brock Osweiler starting for the injured Ryan Tannehill and Nathan Peterman playing in relief of Josh Allen Josh Allen following Allen's elbow injury. Uh, Osweiler played well while Peterman struggled. So, Ben, what do these QB changes mean for these respective teams if the injuries prove to be long-term? Yeah, so... It's probably a definite downgrade for the Dolphins with (laughs) Brock Osweiler. Dude's just been, has a career of inefficient, horrible badness. There's no way to really spin what Brock Osweiler's done throughout his career into a positive. It's pretty cool that he was able to go out and take down the Bears this week. Don't really know how that happened, but it's kind of like the Ryan Fitzpatrick situation where sure the guy played really well for a short period of time but like there's just a much larger sample of evidence showing that Osweiler stinks so it's definitely a downgrade for the Dolphins you know Tannehill's has a surprisingly strong record I think he's like 11 and 3 in his last 14 starts with the Dolphins which is a pretty surprising statistic but it shows that he can be a decently effective game manager and Osweiler hasn't given us a reason to believe he can do the same thing so it's a downgrade for the Dolphins offense as a whole in my opinion although you never know like Osweiler can sometimes lock on to guys like he did with Hopkins for a little bit there but I don't really know who that would be it's probably not going to be Albert not going to be Albert Wilson like he distributed the volume very evenly that in his first start this week so it's just likely a downgrade across the board really unfortunate for Kenny Stills too um he was one of my targets heading into the year I think a lot of people were on him and he's been up and down with some spike production but I'd imagine that Osweiler will hurt his value what do you guys think about the Osweiler situation in Miami yeah uh if you wanted to kind of uh make a uh an album based on this uh I would significant I would definitely be titling it Brock Osweiler and the Infinite Sadness uh I mean, you've got the Miami Dolphins who are genuinely, when you go back and look at how they've won these games, it's by deflating the football. They just don't run plays. They don't want to play the game. Uh, They run fewer than uh, 45 plays, and that's how they just win. They take the air out. Uh, They sit on a, you know, narrow lead. They win by the skin of the teeth. Some of them have been, uh, and it's against weaker competition too. When they're uh, forced to play against other teams that are actually good, they do play pace up. and it's actually kind of fascinating. I mean, just the raw number of attempts uh, that Osweiler got, you know, it was he was definitely going to hit value. I mean, 
really in the long run, like you said, we have a long enough sample size off Brock Osweiler to just know that this guy is bad. I mean, uh, really, both of these guys are bad. Danahill and Osweiler, this Miami offense kind of stinks. Uh, I think I think what we should be cognizant of is the fact that Ryan Danahill does have an AC joint sprain. Um, he seems to be a tough dude who'll play through it. I don't know how you know ineffective he'll be or how effective he'll be. That's very hard to tell considering his base level of play is very bad as well. But uh, there's a very real possibility that the Dolphins kind of roll out Osweiler a little bit. He seems to look a little bit better than what Danahill has done. So maybe they'll give him a chance to heal. But what I should mention here is that Tannehill in 2019, uh, you know, that's where they can afford to cut him. They'll take about a 13.5 million hit to their cap, but they'll also save about, you know, 13-ish million against their cap. And I think that uh, this Miami Dolphins team under, you know, GM Mike Tannenbaum might actually suddenly just look to, you know, completely tear this team down, uh, really restart again uh, where they're going to try and get a quarterback or figure it out as they go along. Um, you know, so... I don't know how much fantasy goodness it really is to go along. And uh, I really lament uh, the issues uh, for Kenny Stills as a guy who I'm a really big fan of as well. I mean, I think it's probably not fair to Tannehill to say he's like really bad. I mean, if you're looking at like a yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt uh, on that basis, he's basically an league average QB, you know, I mean, um, you know, in fact, this so far in 2018, he's actually been a little bit better than league average, uh, seven and a half yards per attempt, seven AYA. Uh, the problem, I think, mostly is that Miami just, uh, like you said, they just have no interest in actually, you know, running plays. They're just playing so slow uh, that he's not getting, you know, the attempt. So, I mean, averaging a career low in terms of yards per game, but his efficiency is, you know, basically what what he's been doing in his career, which is kind of average. So, uh, you know, Osweiler, on the other hand, we know is bad. We know he's well below average in uh, all of these metrics. So, you know, despite how he looked today, I think this is this is, might actually be a pretty significant downgrade uh, for I, the Dolphins' ops, offense. I, I mean, if you can believe that. <laughs> I didn't really know how to respond when you asked me, what do I think of Brock Osweiler in the Dolphins' offense? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then uh, we yeah exactly. Uh, and then there's the uh, Buffalo. I mean, realistically, their future is tied to Josh Allen. Uh, I mean, is you know it depends on the severity of the injury, right? Like they're gonna have to throw him back out there, unfortunately, because uh, you know it's not like Nathan Peterman's particularly great. Uh, the issue with the Bills is they haven't really given Allen any. Um, actual weapons uh you know like sure a guy like zay jones or whatever will pop up but you know at the same time this is a fairly i mean probably one of the worst receiver core receiving cores in the league we know josh allen is raw and he's supposed to be talented he's got ability to make big plays we know he's inaccurate it's a you know a bit of a bummer uh because i'm a big fan of just having these uh rookie qbs who are good because it's very it makes the entire league very exciting uh you know to watch them Self-sabotage, I mean, uh, but this entire franchise has uh, self-sabotaged themselves pretty well uh, with Tyrod, now with Josh Allen, so who knows what comes next.
Yeah, one interesting note on Peterman is that he might increase the fantasy value of these random Buffalo pass catchers. Zay Jones, maybe Kelvin Benjamin. Man, Kelvin Benjamin is a joke. But the thing about Josh Allen is that he's just been taking it to the house in the red zone. Somewhat effectively, too. It's pretty much the only thing he's been doing well, and he has been doing that part well. But Peterman can give more red zone looks to the Buffalo pass catchers. So for whatever that's worth, it probably increases Allen being out increases the fantasy value of the pass catchers, in my opinion. But from a team standpoint, they have to put Allen back in, right? You know, if they don't put him back in and he's healthy, it just like, are they giving up this early? I don't, I don't think they're going to do that, but they made this choice. They've got to, they've got to ride it out and, and next year try and give the guy some better pass catchers so that he can actually maybe translate whatever peculiar type of Uncle Rico talent he has. <laughs> so kind of balancing, you know, how bad Josh Allen has looked when he's passing, how good he's been rushing. And then, I mean, considering what we know about Osweiler and Peterman, uh, who, which team do you think has the more significant downgrade here? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure. Let me think. I would say that the Dolphins get the biggest downgrade because Tannehill's league average. We know, you know, you just provided some stats to back back that up, and we know that Osweiler is completely miserable. So it definitely suggests that the Dolphins will have the larger downgrade given that Josh Allen hasn't done anything to suggest he's anywhere near league average in terms of helping his team win games. Tariq Cohen contributed 31 yards and a touchdown on five carries while adding seven catches for 90 yards on nine targets Sunday in the Bears' Week 6 loss to the Dolphins. Ben, Cohen's 14 total opportunities were just one less than Howard's 15, but most of Cohen's were the more valuable uh, targets as opposed to rush attempts. Uh, which Chicago RB would you rather roster for the rest of the season? Give me Tariq Cohen. Like you said, the targets are just so, so valuable. It's kind of too bad for Jordan Howard, too, because he effectively learned to catch this offseason. You know, he had some of the most pathetic, like, drop rates on his line of scrimmage targets in the last couple of years. But this year he was actually... Howard, Howard was actually pretty good the first two or three weeks when they were giving him target volume. And then these last two weeks, they gave Cohen eight targets last week and nine targets this week, and he just exploded. So, And in turn, they dropped Howard's target volume, despite the fact that he was actually catching the ball and doing okay with it. So... Yeah, Tariq Cohen's kind of like what we want Naheem Hines to be, this guy that gets eight, seven, eight, nine targets per week, shows above-average efficiency on those targets, and throws in a few rushing attempts to boot with the upside to bust out a long touchdown on one of his targets. So, yeah, I definitely like Cohen a lot, especially in this really unique, naggy offense it seems like he's starting to use Cohen in unique ways, like he talked about a bit in the off-seasons. So I think he does have a decently high ceiling. And if Howard's, again, relegated back to his ground-and-pound 
his exclusive ground and pound role, then his value is going to tank quite a bit. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, with that. I've been really on on the Cohen side of this, you know, since uh, the off season. We've talked about how uh, he had massive upside back in in May on this show. Um, one thing I found really encouraging is that Cohen doesn't seem to be uh, very game script dependent, like you kind of uh, like these pass catching backs sometimes are. Like he had a ton of opportunities last week, or actually it was two weeks ago when Chicago destroyed Tampa Bay. And then this week he had a ton of opportunities in a game that was really close. So uh, it's, you know, encouraging to see them use him in all sorts of situations. And I think is really uh, a bad sign for Howard going forward. Yeah, that's a great point about him apparently being game script independent. Love that point. Yeah. And then, there's also something kind of interesting. I mean, like uh, Cohen led uh, the Bears in targets today against the Dolphins with nine. Uh, Robinson uh, was next up with six, but then you had Taylor Gabriel there with five, and uh, Gabriel caught all five of them and turned them into 110 yards. It, it seems that like uh, this offense uh, that Nagy has implemented over here with, with the Bears, uh, with Cohen and Gabriel kind of playing off of each other, seem to create these like wild mismatches where these guys are just racking up yak. Uh, we should hopefully, I guess, free up Robinson and Burton down the line. Uh, I mean, both Miller and Burton have been just, you know, pure garbage. Uh, Jordan Howard saw like one target. But with Gabriel Cohen and, and Robinson, I mean, that the, you know, that that's two short, speedy receivers who can absolutely take you to the house on any given target. And that is actually kind of interesting watching Nagy, like, put these two guys out there and they, they get out there. He puts them in motion. It's, it, it seems like it's really helped Mitchell Trubisky a lot as well. Yeah, for sure, especially since they're lower eight-out targets. You know, the easier completions for Trubisky, who's kind of had – it's questionable whether he's good or not, and that helps him. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate for Robinson's fantasy value in particular since he's acted as the deep threat primarily, and it shows how they've been splitting the target share pretty evenly throughout these – all the different weapons – they have, which, like I said, hurts Robinson's value because you he was drafted as somebody who has the upside for an elite target share. And I just really don't see that existing. You know, Tariq Cohen and Taylor Gabriel are going to get their five to ten targets every, every single week. So that's my take on the Bears passing game. It's just one game, but it looks like today Gabriel had an A dot of 18 on his five targets. Uh, any worry that Gabriel might actually be eating into Robinson's downfield targets? Yeah, I think you're actually right that Gabriel's had an increasing ADOT intermittently throughout the last few games, which certainly will take away from Robinson. Um, that's that's definitely true. All right. Uh, well, with that, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Ben Battle. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Ben underscore Battle 3. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His Radio channel on iTunes and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. 
Contact us via email at rotavizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at rotavizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotaviz at a 30% discount through the Rotaviz podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash podcast. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. Who <laughs> would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.